too much, too full, too demanding. Weariness creeps across body and soul like storm clouds gathering in an open sky. Help us simply stop for a moment to pay attention to the beauty of your creation. We are grateful for water that brings life. We are grateful for trees dressed in leafy green. We are grateful for air so warm that it relaxes body and soul, for cool breezes that caress and awaken, for clouds and for blue skies that stretch beyond sight. We are, we are thankful for these gifts that you have so abundantly given to us. We ask for wisdom and courage to say no to what drains rather than feeds us. Help us find brief moments to sit in perfect stillness while you massage our souls. Lord, open our lips, open our ears, open our hearts and our lives that we may declare your praise, that we may declare your presence. Father, you have called us out of darkness to be a people of light. Open our eyes to see your will for our lives, the path that leads to freedom. And open the eyes of the leaders of our country so that they will again understand the path that leads to freedom. Grant us the courage to walk that path. Fill us with the knowledge of your love. Send us out with a passion for our faith. Give us eyes to see 
how we can lovingly be a part of your healing processes. May our minds be open and our understanding clear when you reveal your will for our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus who taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This Sabbath I have a couple practical tips for living as followers of Jesus in a world where followers of Jesus are a minority. Let's face it, Jesus followers are not politically correct because we follow the teaching of God's word, which is in opposition to many of our cultural practices. You may be aligned with our politically correct culture, but if you follow Jesus, eventually the storms will come and batter you. The storms can come from many places and they can shake the foundation of your faith if your faith is built upon things that can be shaken. So you need to make sure that your life is built upon that which cannot be shaken. I suspect you can guess where I'm going or what I'm going to say next. Your first thought after my opening remarks might be that your life must be built upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And you would be right. Your life must be built upon the rock, Christ Jesus. But do you know what that means, this saying, built upon the rock, Christ Jesus? This saying is used in Christian circles, often with no definite real meaning attached to it. Ideally, we believe that the Christ is the only rock upon which to build. But Christians often think that they need to add additional components to Jesus. For instance, some believers see the need to add exuberant emotions and feelings. Others want to add particular doctrines, while others even equate wealth and prosperity with the rock. Christ Jesus. The result is that many believers develop a dependency upon their add-ons, their additions, that, and Jesus ends up being only secondary in importance. Their additions take top priority. Jesus doesn't need any add-ons. When we talk about building upon the rock, Christ Jesus, what we should mean is that Jesus is enough for us, our salvation without any additions from us. He alone is our Lord and Master. He doesn't need your help. He is your creator. He is your redeemer. He is your all-sufficient portion. His solid foundation stands like a rock. His foundation doesn't 
need extra support from you or me. Whatever we add to his foundation will be shaky at best. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. The things that are made include not only the things that are created, but also all the things we make by our own efforts and all the feelings we conjure up and the doctrines that we elaborate on and the good works that we perform. And no, these things aren't bad. They are good things by themselves. It is only when a soul begins to rest upon them instead of upon Jesus that God is compelled to shake us away from them. Have you ever felt like you were on the mountaintop? You felt so close to God. Your spiritual experience had advanced and your spiritual roots felt settled deep down like the roots of a sturdy oak tree. But then something happened and upheaval came and you found that your roots weren't as sturdy, deep, and unshakable as you thought and you felt in danger of being toppled. You began to despair and you may even have questioned your beliefs. Sometimes an upheaval is in our outward circumstances. Sometimes an upheaval is within ourselves. We should not be resting upon our good works and faithful service. So let me explain. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And he will take away all your good work and your opportunity to work so that you will be driven away from your shaky resting place and be forced to rest in him alone. Do you depend primarily upon good feelings and happy emotions? Do you depend primarily upon particular doctrines that cause you to feel invulnerable because you think your views are the correct views? If you do, then don't be surprised if God is obliged to shake your feelings and your doctrines into confusion. It may be that your upheaval comes from external circumstances. Your life may be firmly established in prosperity. You feel secure and you sleep well at night. Your financial efforts have been successful beyond your expectations and you live a life of ease. Your need for God is in danger of slipping away. And then the Lord is obliged to put an end to it all. And your prosperity crumbles around you like a house built on sand as you head for bankruptcy. And you finally ask God, why are you so angry with me? And God wonders, what kind of a question is that? Don't you understand that I love you? Don't you know that as a follower of Jesus, my love for you will compel me to take away your external prosperity if that is what is keeping you from growing to become more like Jesus? The Apostle Paul declared that he counted all things but loss that he might win Christ. 
And when we learn to say the same, when we learn to count all things but loss, then we too will have the peace and joy that the gospel promises as ours as a permanent possession. So allow me to let you in on a secret. Well, it's not a real secret. It's a fundamental doctrine in the Bible that tends to be overlooked. So it's a not secret secret. The not secret secret is this. We need to cut loose from anything that holds us back from God. You can't follow God if you are following something else. That's how it works. A vessel can't head out into the ocean if it remains tied to the pier. Likewise, we can't follow God if we are tied to the things of this world. I'm not saying we can't be prosperous. I'm saying that you will not follow God if God is not the priority in your life. King David understood this. He wrote in Psalm 62, verses 5 through 7, he wrote these words after he experienced a lot of shaking and emptying in his remarkable life. He wrote, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. God became everything to King David when David discovered that God was enough. That God was all that he truly needed. Is it possible to arrive at a place where nothing can upset us or disturb our calm, even though we constantly feel pressure to follow the ways of the world? The answer is part of the not secret secret. The answer is yes. We can arrive at a place where nothing upsets us or disturbs our calm. I have a good example. When the Apostle Paul traveled to Jerusalem, he knew that he would be facing chains and a lot of trouble. He knew that he would be shaken to the core. Yet he said, but none of these things move me. For him, his possessions and even his life were no longer his priority. We may not be facing a calling like the Apostle Paul, but we can come, we can arrive at the same place that he reached. We can reach the point where nothing can remove our peace that passes all understanding. Another tip. In addition to building your life upon the rock, Christ Jesus, there is something else 
very practical something else that the Bible teaches us to do. This tip is something that we are instructed to do that enables us to find comfort in everything that happens in our lives. Listen to this verse that I know you've heard many times. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's expectation that we give thanks in everything. This is a very positive command. And if we really want to obey God, we simply must give thanks to him for everything. Really? Most of us would say that this is an impossible command. No one can give thanks for everything. We say to ourselves, not everything comes directly from God. Most things come through human sources, and often they are the result of sin. How can we give thanks for those kinds of things? Well, may I suggest that you have a misunderstanding. No, we don't give thanks for bad things or difficult situations, but we can still give thanks for something far more important. We can give thanks for God's love and care for us when we have bad things happen to us or we face difficult situations. God may not have ordered up the bad things, but he is still with you in a matter that can cause something good to result from the bad. And that's a, pro a promise from cover to cover in the Bible. We know the old story, or the story of Joseph in in the book of Genesis, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers and then sold into slavery. It would have seemed impossible for Joseph to give thanks. But in the end, he was able to say to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God knows how to make good things happen out of bad situations. God uses what may appear to be a very bad situation to make something good happen. He made that happen with the story of Joseph, as Joseph emerged from slavery to become the number two ruler in Egypt. As he fathered the nation of Israel. Sadly, most believers seem stuck in a kind of myopic resignation to things they cannot alter. The most they strive for is to embrace enough patience to endure difficult situations. The result is that thanksgiving is almost an unknown exercise among those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And not only do they fail to thank God for his love and comfort, but they do the exact opposite. Instead of giving thanks, they complain about the way God deals with them. Instead of looking for God's goodness, they start finding fault and they start criticizing God's laws and God's ways. That's what complainers do. They find faults and they make accusations 
Christians who are complainers are in effect making charges against God. On the other hand, thanksgiving always involves praise. Praising God is a principal part of our worship. The psalmist wrote, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise is beautiful. There is no doubt about how important thanksgiving is in Scripture. God wants to be thanked and praised just like you and I want to be thanked and praised. I am, I am confident that God is pleased when we thank him. I am confident that he is saddened when we fail to thank him. The Bible is full of this truth from cover to cover. Psalm 107, verses 21 and 22. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. If you think about it, it's an easy thing to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You would think every believer is eager to do it, to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. But for some reason, that's not the case. I suspect that if the prayers of believers would be categorized on any given day, they would be, or there would be, a close similarity to the responses of the ten lepers whom Jesus healed in Luke chapter 17. If you remember the story, ten lepers begged for healing when Jesus entered a village. Jesus sent them off to present themselves to the priest, and they were all healed. But sadly, only one out of the ten returned to Jesus to give him thanks. And Jesus was grieved. He was upset when that happened, when only one out of ten returned to give thanks. Just listen to the words Jesus spoke when only one out of the ten returned to give thanks and praise to him. Jesus said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Uh-oh. I wouldn't be surprised if the other nine relapsed back into leprosy. Since they did not return to Jesus and give thanks and praise, they did not receive his final words. Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I hope that I never make that mistake and neglect to return to Jesus with thanksgiving and praise. The truth is, even among believers, some people, some believers, are always complaining. That's the truth. 
Nothing ever pleases them. No kindness ever seems to be appreciated. And we are uncomfortable in their presence. It seems that nothing will ever satisfy them. I wonder if God ever says the same thing about some of us. I wonder if God gets tired of our whining and complaining despite the many blessings he's poured out upon us. Surely the great shepherd knows which is the best pasture for his sheep, his followers. If we would only realize that the provision our loving God has made for us is exactly what is best for us, then our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving and our mouths would praise him even in times of trouble and uncertainty. Uncertainty. It's not because things are good that we should give thanks. It's not because we expect God's blessings in the face of trouble that we give thanks. Rather, we thank God because he is good, perfectly good. We aren't wise enough within our perception of reality to correctly judge whether things are in their essence, joys, or sorrows. We don't know enough about this world and how it really works. But we know that God is always good, and his goodness makes it certain that everything he provides or permits can be used for good. And so we are commanded to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Giving thanks to God is the key to opening his gates more so than anything else. So the next time you feel depressed and heavy from the weight of your concerns, take some time out and begin to praise and thank God for all the blessings you have received in your life. Thank him genuinely and wholeheartedly. And then don't be surprised if your spirits rise as you begin to feel better. At the end of the book of Psalms, the psalmist wrote, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John wrote in, it, in Revelation chapter 5, Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. When we meet our Father in heaven, our voices will sing out with those who have gone before us. But until that time, let us not forget that in this life, our thanksgiving and our praises are pleasing to God's ears. Amen. Hallelujah.
Thou art a 